Welcome back to In Light of the Gospel, episode 28. Today we welcome back John Giesbrecht to the podcast. This is the first time having a guest on for the second time. Uh, it was a real joy talking to him again. We touch on a lot of different topics, but some of the main thrust of our conversation is the idea of once saved, always saved, or rather, I think biblically, the security of the believer. And I hope that you're persuaded and convinced by the truth of what we speak about. We have a lot of interesting points and different uh, verses that we go to and discuss this matter. But we also mentioned that in one month's time, we plan to have a gospel meeting, a revival type meeting in Vauxhall, Alberta, in southern Alberta. I'll be coming out if the good Lord is willing uh, with my family and I'll be teaching there several nights and uh, we'll be touching on quite a few topics then as well. So we discussed that briefly. Uh, November 10th through the 14th, I believe, are the dates. Well, there will be an actual invitation sent out yet, an audio or video invitation as well as text. So I appreciate you tuning in again. This is, uh, I think, going to be a very helpful conversation to a lot of, especially young believers who are trying to figure out what does the Bible say about security, about our destiny, about sin and being saved and staying saved. So God bless you again. Thanks for tuning in and please share this with your friends. So excited to come down or? Yeah. So maybe we can just start talking about that right, right off the hop here. So the plan is as of now, John Giesbrecht, John Bolt, and the, the Bible Truths guy was over in Alberta are planning a revival meeting. I heard uh, Frank say the other day that you guys were thinking about calling it uh, Bible Truths in light of the gospel. Yeah. I thought that was kind of a neat uh, little mix of our YouTube channels. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of what uh, they're like, hey, should we have a name for it? And then, you know, the one day they were talking, and I'm like, hey, how about, you know, put Bible Truth in there, but then also in light of the gospel, because I know that's what... Uh, what your YouTube channel is called, right? So they they want to do that. And then, yeah, that's November 10th, 11th, 12th, and 13th. Yeah, I yep. think I got those dates right. So Yeah. So maybe give a bit of a history on your, your church group there, because I know we touched on it last time you're, when we had a conversation on here, but uh, you were born again out of Old Colony System. You became a Baptist member at the church there and eventually a deacon, I think, an ordained position anyway. And then you and John both uh, decided to leave and start something totally fresh. Maybe give us a short history on that. Yeah. So I, again, like again, I come out of the old colony system, got uh, saved when we went there, um, jumped to a lot of different church buildings, a lot of different uh, uh, groups of people, and then we ended up because I was always I've always been very hungry for Bible truth. Like I was never. You know, there was certain maybe short periods where I went off with maybe a little bit more liberal or, or just about feelings or emotions. But I always came back to, hey, what's what does the Bible actually say? I don't really care what what I feel and what the media or like the famous Christians say or whatever. I want to actually know what the scripture say. And we were looking for church like that, right? So as I find a lot of times, even when you leave like the old colony system, you go to like EMC or or any of these other groups. They still have that Mennonite, like the way they think, Mennonite thinking, right? So they don't, everything still scares them. If you bring something new up that is in scripture, but they have never heard from, they just think you've gone way out of the, off the rails, right? So I think that's where we just, because I, I was hungry for scripture. I was listening to people and all of a sudden I'm like, hey, 
I brought it up to people and, and the churches that we went to, especially the other Mennonite churches we went to, and people started getting uncomfortable. Eh? Like I remember the one church, you know, they, they're professing Christians and they are a lot of Christians in there, but I was kind of tired of, Hey, let's just feel good about ourselves. So I started going around. We had this uh, potluck thing and I started just asking everybody there, are you born again? Just <laughs> randomly. And they just got a little offended. They're like, well, I've been in this church way longer than, than, you know, you have, but, or one of the guys, even he was a leader in the church. He's like, I- I've been a leader here for long. I'm like, okay, are you born again? You know, <laughs> people started avoiding me a little bit because I'm like, okay, I was tired of these people. Just you hung out there and there was no, nothing spiritual. And as soon as it was anything that you would take the Bible, like, hey, have you heard of this? Hey, you're making too big of a deal out of that. Just leave that alone. That just, you know, Jesus was about love or whatever. Right. And, mm-hmm. So we, I was really looking for a group, an assembly that um, that there was Bible taught, right? That's kind of why we would be drifted towards the Baptist because we did have our own little group growing up at that time. But we were all new believers. A lot of us, we didn't really have a place, a church that we went to. So we would have like once a month, we'd get together. There was probably like 15 couples, all young believers, like every single one of them. We even had events going. I remember the one time we had a, a compassion event. I think 800 people showed up wow. and we had no idea what we were doing. Right. So we're like, you know, we want to get under some older people, get mentored, but also somebody that, that, that talked, uh, taught the Bible. So that's when we, um, John Bolt already had gone to the, the Baptist church and, uh, that's how they invited us there. And you know what we did like, to, we heard, liked some things that we heard there that they were about soul winning. They went out and preached. Um, they did they preach the gospel. Yeah, they preached the gospel and stuff like that. So, yeah, we went there for uh, a few years. Uh, John got involved. John Bull got involved uh, a little bit sooner than I did. He became uh, the teachers for the youth. And then a few years after, or maybe a year and a half after, whatever I did. And then we got both ordained as ministers, preachers in the in the church there. So, uh, and then I think... And it was more anyways, because the way Baptists have it, like, it's kind of like, you know, you're getting ordained as ministers, but you're going to be sent out, right? Kind of idea, like, that's kind of how they, they look at it, right? So, and that right. was kind of the idea, but we would probably want a little bit quicker than they wanted us to, and then, but yeah, then we, that's when we started our, our group. Okay. Right? Yeah, I, I think probably all of us are guilty of this to one degree or another, right? But we, we leave off a system that maybe was dead or... um had lost its zeal or lost its pursuit of truth. And then we, we drop a few of the things that we can see, but we don't open up, our, up ourselves enough to the scriptures to say, what does the Bible actually teach about this? And again, like I said, even our group at Springfield or your group there in, in uh, Tabor, I'm sure we're still guilty of kind of holding on to certain things still, but trying as much as we can to say, okay, it doesn't matter what we were taught as as children. Doesn't matter what our churches taught. Doesn't matter what the local churches teach. What does the Bible actually teach? Now, I would say probably ninety percent or so of the stuff that we now believe is still very much the same things that we were taught as children. You know, the Bible is God's word. Jesus did become a man. Or he he was born of a virgin. He did die on a cross. Like all the really fundamental stuff is there, but a lot of the little things like. How should church structure look? What should church leadership be like? Or uh, what does the Bible say about this doctrine or that? Like the little nuanced things that sometimes make a huge difference, like our participation with Christ's death and our freedom from sin and so on. Like those things become huge. But if you're not willing to look at it 
and say, what does the Bible actually teach? You might always be hanging on to some false doctrine that just doesn't go anywhere, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the thing too. It's like, you know, it depends who you're around as well. Like I find if you don't really have one or two people that you can share this with or that people that are hungry for the word and are open to it, it's really hard to, right? You don't, you kind of lose the motivation to even, you know, it's kind of like if, if, you know, for my, me, we have a house, me and my spouse, we, you know, I own the house and we, we want to build a deck or something when I can, if, I, if it was just me owning the house and my wife wasn't part of, Hey, let's go build the deck outside. Let's go build a gondola. Let's go build these things. It's way more exciting to share that with someone. If you, if you, ha if you couldn't share that with anybody, it wouldn't be as exciting. And that's where I find it. A lot of people, they kind of have left the excitement of some new doctrine or something, which are not new doctrines, but new to them. They've kind of put that to the side because they couldn't share that excitement with anybody everybody kind of looked at them whoa where are you going you're going kind of going off the rails and that's why you know even for us like i hear certain people bring certain doctrine they get really fired up about certain doctrines for certain teachings and sometimes i might not agree with them but i don't like to throw it away either because i also want to be open to something i'm like, okay i i could still be influenced by some sort of religion you know i've often said this like sometimes i don't know when i look at music or if i look at some of these things is it just that i'm kind of still influenced by my background or some sort of religion yet or what 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 really influences my way of thinking or things that you know i see in life and see the structure in church is it just because i've been influenced by maybe a little bit of uh that religion yet or is it actually that i see it from scripture right yeah, I just did a little uh, video the other day that maybe I wasn't as clear as I ought to have been, but there's a passage in the uh, book of First Timothy, I believe it is, where Paul admonishes Timothy to keep the traditions that you've received. And Mennonites will go to that verse and say, see, we should keep the traditions that we receive, but it says that from us or by our epistle. And so the traditions that we ought to keep are found in the Bible, not in our history, right? However, at the end of that message, I also shared that... Um, there's, it's too easy as a young Christian to think, well, this doesn't seem to be found in the Bible. I'm going to toss this out because that was just tradition. That was uh, religion or that was dead works or whatever it might have been. And then now that I've been a Christian for you know close to 20 years, there's a few things that I've recognized that, that were brought to us purely by tradition. Now I've found textual proof that it's actually a really good thing and I ought not to toss it out or maybe even not a direct text that I can point to just that says this should be done this way but principles and ideas that are found in the Bible that seem to bring out that kind of topic, that kind of thought pattern, right? Where it's like, okay, well, I've seen a lot of Mennonites, like you said, the EMCs and a lot of those other groups, not to pick on one of them, but they'll leave old colony and they'll leave off the tradition and the religion that they came from. And then they'll toss out all kinds of good things like solid community building or headship order in the family, you know, the husband being the head of the household and working together with his wife to rule the, fa the family well and teaching your children to work hard and, you know, raising them out in the fields and all those kinds of things that now we can see are very good. A lot of these more liberal minded churches, they toss that all out and their kids go to hell in a handbasket when they're teenagers and they're like, I don't know what we did wrong. We taught them the Bible. Yeah, but you forgot to teach them that they should work, that they should respect their elders, that they should honor their father and their mother, and that, they, you know, all these things that are obviously biblical, but the Mennonites have no reason for it. They just do it because that's how we've always done it. But it's a good thing, right? Like Mennonites, even today, you look around and you see they're very religious, they're dead, they don't understand the gospel, at least our kind of Mennonites. 
but they still seem to keep their kids a lot of the times. Yeah, mm-hmm. they might get wild, but they come back around, they get baptized, they go to church and they become good, hardworking citizens. So there's something of value there, even though it's not the gospel. Yeah. And I think that's a big thing. Just like you said, a lot of people, they throw that away. They're like, oh, I don't want to do, I, I want nothing to do with the way I grew up. Right. I want nothing to do with that. But you can't do that. Cause like, even the way I grew up, I didn't like the religious part of it that, that was un, unbiblical, but all the other things, like the morals that came with it, uh, hardworking. Like I, I think even as, as the man that I am today, it was because of those traditions, those those good morals that I grew up with, I would have never, you know, I was, I was never lazy. I never, you know, came to that point where a lot of people are today. They don't have any discernment. Even back then you always, you walk circumspectly, even as a religious person, you watch her with things that are going around you. And I think even with all those things kind of branded in my head, growing up in a household like that, it has helped me now as a Christian, you know, you know, you are aware in a, in a biblical way instead of just the religious way, but you're, you're still aware. And I think that's where a lot of people have scrapped a lot of those ideas and they go off the rails because nope, that because we grew up that way, because, you know, I, well, we got disciplined that way. I don't want to discipline my children. Oh, it, was, it must've been wrong to spank your child. It must be wrong to whatever the idea might be, but a lot of the stuff they, so they thrown away just because it had a bitterness against the religion part of things. Right. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned earlier about, you know, music or the way that you do church and stuff. Growing up, obviously, as old colony Mennonites, there was no music allowed in churches. And really, I think if you would have followed the traditions well, you might not have had music in your house at all either. But by now, living in Canada, it wasn't a big deal to have a guitar in the house or to listen to music on the radio. You probably shouldn't listen to country, but it's kind of okay. But when it comes to church, strictly a cappella, strictly old fashioned, you know, you zonk beat later. And that's, yeah. that was it. That was all that was allowed. And so a lot of, again, a lot of these churches, they started up realizing that that's tradition, that's not actually biblical, and they tossed it all out. And what often is the result now is you go to most churches, and it's almost strictly a performance-based worship service. There's a band up front that's performing for the congregation. The congregation is kind of, you know, mouthing the words kind of casually, and the the depth of the lyrics are, are very shallow. And so you go back to a lot of the Yazankbik Leida, or like us, we often will sing a lot of the old hymns. Not that there isn't some good new hymns, but we'll sing old traditional hymns that speak richly and deeply about our theology, about our position in Christ and about our freedom that we have or the blood of Jesus, stuff that a lot of the new songs just don't really touch on. And so we, we didn't toss all that out. We kind of kept some of that. Now we do have, you know, a guitar or a piano up there because we recognize that the Bible also gives a lot of credibility to playing music you know it tells us to play loudly and to play as unto the lord right so we've adopted some of these new ideas but we've also tried to be wary that a lot of the new stuff that is out there now is very shallow and trashy right exactly so those are just kind of peripheral issues things that you know one church might do it this way one church might do it that way but one of the things that we kind of wanted to touch on today is a much more i don't know i guess more theologically rich topic And that is this idea of once saved, always saved, or I think more biblically stated, it would be eternal security. So uh, if I can give a brief summary of what we were taught as as um, Mennonite kids, I mean, it wasn't very clearly taught by any means. It was just kind of assumed and expected that this was the truth was basically that you try to be as good a Christian as possible. 
You never have actual assurance of salvation because if you did, then you would be saying that you are uh, you have accomplished something that you have earned salvation. And so you never have complete assurance and you can at any moment become a non Christian and lose your salvation. You know, if you continue doing this, then for sure there's no hope. If you do the right things, then there's maybe hope. And so it was a very unassured way of believing the gospel. Then you and I both would have gotten saved and gotten assurance of salvation, come out of that system of religion. And then now we're like, oh man, it's Jesus. It's only his work, not mine. And then people started asking the questions. Well, what if, what if, you know, you're a Christian, you're born again Christian, and you're on your way home from Bible study and you do something bad, or you maybe you got angry at your wife, or you lusted in some way, and then you go and have a terrible car accident and you die. Are you still going to go to heaven? Are you saved or are you not saved, right? Now it sounds like a silly question, but to a lot of Mennonites, this stuff is like really serious. Like what what is this this then? Are are we, we're saved by Christ, obviously, but what if I do mess up and die with my sin? Am I dying in sin? Yeah, well, it's it's interesting. So you right when I got saved, it was the same thing, right? So that was the first topic that came up when I got saved, first of all, before I didn't believe grace through faith, it was always the workspace salvation. And then as soon as I got saved, that was probably one of the first things that I'm like, I got to look into this. Can you lose it? Cause I right away, you heard, you know, I had a brother-in-law, his boss was telling him, you can't lose your salvation. All of a sudden I wrote a whole book. Eh? I wrote a whole, uh, that was just a small book about how you can lose your salvation. Oh, right? Really? That was, yeah. It was like a small book and I took verses and verses and, and, you know, now realizing a lot of those verses were out of context. You know, a lot of these verses were out of Matthew, even Old Testament uh, scripture and stuff. Right. So I read this was something that was in my mind and right away. I'm like, OK, so you are saying that you can go live like a devil and be saved because that's always the question I find. It's never about it's never about keep believing or keep staying in the faith. It's always about, oh, so you think you can just go and. And, and sin, you can just go commit adultery, you can just go cuss, and you're still going to be saved. That's always the the real, that's always the real question for anybody. That was the real question for me. So I'm like, okay, let me take a bunch of verses, let me take a bunch and, and prove this thing wrong. Let me prove it wrong that you can lose your salvation, that it's still based upon works after you're saved. And I think that's, that's where the issue comes in when people don't understand salvation. And no. I think, you know, many of us heard this before, but salvation is in three tenths. The first one is, you know, if you're saved from the penalty of sin, and then you're saved from the power of sin, and then you're saved from the presence of sin. So salvation is a continual, continual thing, but so is grace. A lot of people, they like to end their first being saved from the penalty of sin. They're like, okay, I got saved. And now they like to kind of eliminate the grace and put it back on works, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I often like to say things like, um, what did you do to get saved in the beginning? Everybody that's a Christian will say, well, nothing. I just simply believed what Jesus had done for me. So then I would like to ask, what do you do to stay saved? And the mind immediately starts rolling like, well, I, I gotta, what do I gotta do? Well, I gotta pray. I gotta go to church. I gotta give money. I gotta stay out of sin. Like how many of those things do you have to do every day then to stay saved? And now, again, right away, the religious mind says, oh, so you're saying don't do anything. You don't have to do anything and you stay saved? Well, yes, 
but that's not what's going to happen. You know, someone who is genuinely a believer and who loves the Lord and who's grateful for what Christ has done, they won't continue on in sin. The Bible makes that abundantly clear. But never at any point does become me staying free from sin become what saves me, right? Yeah. And I think that's where, I think that's the question that I think anybody needs to ask themselves is, how did you get saved? What did what means does God use to save you? First of all, we rely on the blood of Christ, but there's a means, and that's believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So, and I think that's where, okay, how do you stay saved? It's kind of, it, it doesn't end there. And that's where I think the same thing with grace. It's like grace doesn't end at a Christian salvation or when he gets saved. Absolutely. He's being saved, right? And I think that's where, and then you get the idea, just like we you talked about people that believe in one saved, always saved, or they just think, hey, look, we're saved. It has nothing, you know, we don't need to believe. We don't, you know, this guy's fallen away from his belief and we're going to continue to be saved. I don't know who said this, but I've heard this before. I believe in etern- a security of a believer, right? Yes. Not a security of a non believer, right? Right. So I think that's where there's two sides of the coin with completely different ideas. And to me, I'm more on the middle. I'm, I'm in the middle ground, but also I do think uh, a lot of these people walk into the danger. Again, it goes back to ignoring grace. A lot of people, they, they, as soon as they get saved, then it becomes based upon their own works. Again, it becomes based upon them holding on to their salvation and they've completely let go of, yeah. of grace. Right. Some would, some would say saved by grace, kept by works. Yeah. What a horrible state to be in. Yeah. Right. I, I heard Michael Pearl say this once years ago, and I've often used this as an illustration. You know, I've been saved almost 20 years. If I could take all my best performances, like my very best days where I was sharing the gospel with people, where I was overcome with joy and I was full of love towards my family and the people around me, take all those moments of the last 20 years and squeeze them all down into a 10 minute period that 10 minute period in which I have rooted out all my selfishness, all my, you know, wrong motives and all the bad things I've done and put it into a 10 minute period, I would not stand before God with that 10 minute period representing my life and say, how's this God, I would be like, no, 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 don't look at that God. I know there's faults there. I know my motives have been wrong. I know I've done wrong things, even in my good performances, even in my best days, I would never dare trust, you know, today, I've been saved 20 years, almost 20 years. I'm no more saved than I was 20 years ago. And the thing that saved me 20 years ago is still the only hope of salvation I have today. I was banking on the blood of Jesus then, and I'm banking on it now. I have no more hope in myself than I did before, right? Yeah. Well, it's just this one passage here that I wrote down here, 1 John 5, 13. You know, people quote this and they know this verse, but it says, These things have I written unto you that... Believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. It doesn't say work. It doesn't say this. It says that if you you will know if you believe, you mm-hmm. believe on the Son of God. So that's the same thing. You know, a person that bases his after salvation, just call it that, call it, bases it on works, then how does he know, right? Like how can you even know if you believe that you're going to, you know, maybe lose it somewhere down the road, then how do you actually know it? Because you're basing, you know, it on works again, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that can be pretty confusing. Now, maybe we're slightly veering off the topic right now when I say this, but I heard a preacher once say many years ago too, that a lot of Christians come out of the old colony system and they learn that they can know that they're saved, but they never find out if they're saved. 
they never actually have that confidence because they're looking still to their own works and they're like, okay, now we can know. And then sometimes they get persuaded. You just need to know, you have to know. So did you repent? Yes, I did. Did you ask Jesus into your heart? Yes, I did. Well then write it down in a book and say, from this day forward, I know that I'm saved. So I've asked people before, are you a Christian? Well, yes, I am. Do you know that? Yes, I do. How do you know that you know? I just know that I know. Well, what are you basing your security on? What are you looking to that yeah. gives you confidence? Well, a preacher told me never to doubt it. Um, you know, what's that to like, are you just convincing yourself that you're saved? What is the, what is the actual confidence that you have? If it's not Jesus suffered in my place, he died for my sins and he rose again, then you have no hope. I mean, you can be as confident as you want, but you're just deceiving yourself. Mm-hmm. But a couple of the passages that that often get pointed out, and there's so many like this, we won't be able to cover all of them. But in John chapter 10, verse 27 through 30, Jesus says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Like, it's absolutely confident. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Never are they going to be taken out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. You know, so the eternal securists and the once saved, always saved people would say, look at that. Like, it's it's absolutely obvious. There's no way we can ever be lost. Can Could you take me out of my Father's hand? No, of course not. So we'll never be lost. But how would the Mennonite counter that? Yeah, well, they would say you'd walk away. Yeah, <laughs> you could take yourself out. Yeah, you would take yourself out. Yeah, I've heard that one many times. You're like, oh, no, we're, you can't, he will never let anybody pluck you, but you can pluck yourself out of the Father's hand, right? Then you're somebody, right? Then yeah. I always think about, it goes right back to the book of Romans too, right? Where Romans, where he says that, you, who, who, who shall separate us from the love of God? Like, shall tribulations, shall these things, like, who's going to take you away? It's like, but there's like, see, nothing will, but I can't. So then right. it is something, someone, someone can, someone will, if you can do it. Right. So I think that's, that's where most people, again, they would argue that, that point where it's like, okay, no, you can't walk. You, you, he won't let anybody pluck you out of your hand, but you can walk away. Right. Right. And I, I think probably they're, they're coming at it from somewhat of a right mentality in that God never takes away your will. I remember when I was early in my Christian faith, um, friend of mine pointed out that not even when we're in heaven will our will be removed he will we will never god will never go into our brain and make us do something we do not want to do and i I feel like that's just obvious and mennonites believe that so they're like okay yeah nobody can pluck me out nobody's gonna take me famine pestilence sword nothing that none of that can separate me from christ but if i choose to stop walking after god if i walk in sin then maybe there is something there that can take me out of the the hand of god right so it's me myself and they're on to something a little bit but they still miss the point a lot of times then they'll say things like well uh, you know i've I've sinned too much or that person has gone too far in that direction they've become too evil in their lifestyle so therefore they've lost their salvation they need to either get saved again or some strange thing right but Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's like my son was asking me the other day, like, so dad, what does it exactly mean to depend? Because I, you know, I'm, he's pretty young yet, so I've been been just kind of teaching him through the Bible. And then I'm like, like, depending on Christ's righteousness, on his, we were to be dependent on his righteousness, not on our own, because, you know, my kids are getting, you know, they're growing up in a Christian home. And so they're obviously thinking, hey, we're Christians and, and, uh, 
And then all of a sudden, like, yeah, but I'm not as bad as he is, right? So they start all these questions. And then I told them, like, hey, it's not depending. You're not supposed to depend on your own righteousness. You're not depending on your own work. So he's like, so what does it mean if we, because I always tell him, hey, look at Jesus's righteousness. So he's like, well, what does it, how, how does that look? Like, give me an example. How does that look? So I, we have a baby that's six months old. And I'm like, think about that child completely depends. I said, if we left that child, our, our baby alone, Skyler was the name. If I left her on the couch and we all left the house and we did not come back for a year, would she be living or would she be dead? Well, he's like, she would be dead. I'm like, guess what? Because she completely depends on our work. Completely mm-hmm. depends on it. Like, our, just that's exactly how we depend on Christ's work. We depend on it. That's the only way we know without Christ, there is only death. There is no living there is no eternal life and that's where i'm like okay just like that child our child depends on i said even you you know you're you know he's older already but i'm like even you you depend on us you depend on mom and dad to to feed you you depend on us to bring food you depend on us making money without us you couldn't do that so it's like you start depending on somebody i said that's how you know we as as christians even after we're saved we're still depending on his righteousness mm-hmm. that hasn't vanished it hasn't been taken away we're still depending on the things that Christ has done, right? Yeah, and even Jesus, he uses that illustration. He says, except you repent and become as a little child, you can in no wise receive the kingdom, right? Like it's, you have to think that way. You have to depend completely on his work and it doesn't change. Like I said, after years and years of walking with God and serving him and reading his scriptures, I still, like even Paul said in in Second uh, Philippians chapter two, that he count all his own works as dumb, not just the works before he became a Christian as a Pharisee and as a scribe and, and all those religious things he did, but everything that he's done since then. I don't, I don't count, I don't want to stand before him having mine own righteousness, but the righteousness which is of God. And so today, to this day, I have no hope apart from what Christ has done for me. It's the only thing that can save and it's the only thing that can keep you saved, right? Yeah. One of the passages, one of my favorite passages that I quote almost most frequently is Colossians chapter one. Um, it gives very, very much credibility to the idea that we should be very sure of our salvation and that our salvation is very sure. So mm-hmm. our we're absolutely confident that what he did is absolutely enough, right? It's both. Mm-hmm. It's a very sure salvation and we can be very sure of it. So Colossians chapter one, verse 20 says this, Jesus Having made peace, this is something he already did, past tense, having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you, you know, anybody listening to this, you, John, me, Dan, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled, he has reconciled us in the body of his flesh through death to present you. So Jesus died on the cross for us so that he could take us and present us to the Father to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight, God's sight. So, man, oh man, that's a secure work. That's something that is sure. That is something that is absolute. He did this for us. And now God is, Jesus is presenting me to the Father as holy, unblameable, unreprovable in his sight. And we could just stop there and just celebrate that and say, man, oh man, it's absolutely sure. It's it's for sure, and I'm confident in it. It's absolutely 100%. But he doesn't stop there. He does put a qualifier on it. He puts a yeah. condition on it. And this is where the Baptists and the ones saved always say people don't like where it goes. He says, yeah. 
You are all these things. You are holy, unblameable, unreprovable in God's sight if, if what? If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled and be not moved away from good works, be not moved away from a certain righteous attitude, or be not moved away from reading your Bible and praying every day. No. If you be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, yeah. which ye have heard of me, which was preached to every creature under heaven, so on and so forth. But it's not like we couldn't walk away. There is the option. We could stop trusting in Christ. Yeah. But it's not if I do these activities, I'm saved. If I don't do these activities, I lose it. Mm-hmm. It's if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled. Yeah. Don't be moved away. Yeah. And I think that would be, that's the legit argument to any, to the, to the whole thing, right? Because it's never, it's not based upon, again, it's not based upon your works. It's not based upon you doing the right works. It's based upon that you stay in the faith, right? There is definitely that condition there, but it's, it's pretty amazing how that, how, how that's all versed because first he starts with a confidence of salvation and then he puts that condition, but that condition isn't upon, again, it's not upon your works, but upon the faith, right? Yeah. It shouldn't take your confidence away. No. And I think that's where I, you know, again, it goes back to the two, the two sides, the side that once saved, always saved side. And then you got the side that uh, uh, are still basing everything on works. The ones that believe you can lose your salvation. And when they don't, they, the argument is never, never this. The argument is always based on works. And I think yeah. just like before you get saved, and that's why even like in Galatians, you look at the book of Galatians and it's almost like a lot of these people, I wouldn't say, and I know it was to the Jewish or to the, these Judaizers that came in and wanted to put these people back under the law. But a lot of these people that are on the side where it's based upon their works again, they are kind of like the people in Galatians because he says, who has bewitched you? Who has taken you away from this grace that I have preached? This is the mm-hmm. gospel of grace. Who has taken you away from this again? A lot of people, just like we were saying, they, they, they believe in grace. Hey, I'm saved by grace. Their testimony, I saved by grace through faith. And then all of a sudden, their whole walk from this, from justification to glorification, they want to base it on their own works again, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and I think that's probably the biggest problem. People will be like, okay, now you've committed this sin. How do you get that forgiven? You know, First John chapter one says, if we confess our faults, he's faithful or confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so then they get this mentality that, okay, if I've confessed all my sins, then I'm saved. If I don't confess them all, then I've got to quickly undo those things because now salvation has become about confession and repentance and it's no longer about Christ. But that passage in, ch- in chapter one, and we won't get into all the details there now, it's talking about a saved person and a lost person. Someone who is saved walks in the light. Someone who is lost is in darkness still. Someone who is saved confesses, yeah, I'm a sinner. I need grace. And they're saved and they're forgiven. Someone who re- rejects that idea and says, I'm not a sinner. Well, then they're lost. They have no hope, right? Because in First sec- John chapter 2, he says, he died not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. And we have a propitiation through faith in his blood. So it's, it's a permanent thing. Our sins are forgiven by one sacrifice for sins forever. And I've talked about this before, Hebrews chapter 9 and 10, right? There is no new sacrifice that needs to be made. Not even our repentance, not even our confession is a sacrifice that needs to be made for us to be forgiven. It's one sacrifice forever. And so there is a lot of, 
a lot of confidence. There should be complete security that I am saved. I'm as saved as Jesus Christ is because I'm saved based on the same work, right? Yeah. And that's why a lot of times it, it, it almost sounds like, you know, you're con we're contradicting ourselves by sometimes I like to take people's confidence away because it, most of the time their confidence relies on themselves. Yeah. But then you try to put the confidence in the work of Christ again. Right. And people have said this to me, like, there's something I don't quite get what you're trying to say, because all of a sudden, you know, you, you're trying to make everybody doubt their salvation. And the next time you're telling everybody to be completely confident in their salvation, yeah. well, the same thing. It's like, okay, I'm going to try to get you that you have no confidence in your salvation. If you're basing it upon your own works. if you're going to say, man, I did this, man, I don't know, man, I don't feel saved or something like this. Well, I'm going to make you doubt your salvation. I'm going to make you, if that's what you want to base it on, I'm going to use the law just like Paul did. Paul did Absolutely. Okay, you know what? a thing on the table if you guys can live completely righteous if you guys can and i'll use this example to before if you guys can go out and pick up my truck and uh i'll give you guys the truck if you guys can't you fail guess what there's no more hope you guys are on your way to hell if you're going to rely on your own work because you you just showed me you were weak you couldn't pick up my truck so you can't you you're, you're you have you should have no confidence that's but right that's when it's like when your confidence gets completely relied on jesus when it's like okay i couldn't do nothing it's Jesus, just like like my child. When they when I hold them, they have, their confidence is complete. Oh, my dad's gonna protect me. My dad's gonna protect me. And that's exactly when, for me, that was a big thing for me too. It's like when I, even as a Christian, you're still influenced by a lot of that religion, a lot of these other doctrines, a lot of things that you're around, people that you get exposed to, even messages of some godly men that preach still some of this stuff that that all of a sudden you start doubting because again you're doubting because you're depending on your own righteousness that's right you're depending on your own righteousness but when you can get that out of your head and you just look to christ's righteousness when you know that you're not going to be judged according to what you did as a christian it's going to be like no you're perfect because you walk perfect you were 30 something years old and you died and you rose you know it's like when you start looking at it that way you're like amen i have it's not that's that right have to do with jesus christ and that's why it's like that's where my faith my hope everything my my confidence lays in that and that's where just like it goes back to the colossians that's we need to have our confidence in that we, our faith needs to be in that not in our own doing right and that can't get scary actually you think of it that way and it actually almost gets a little scary when when these when you think of that verse even in colossians there if you staying grounded in the faith so, so many people, I don't want to say they're walking away from the faith here, but, but so many of these people, it, it's again, based upon themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, um, at the beginning of this conversation, you mentioned the, the term security of the believer. And I think that's the best way to describe it because it's someone who is continuing to believe what Christ has done. Never mm -hmm. once looking back to my performance, my, uh, lifestyle to gain confidence or lose confidence. On my very best day, my very best performance, my only hope is Christ. On my very worst day, when I have failed God the most, when I feel guilty, my confidence stays the same because my, my performance is not taken into account. It's Christ's blood and righteousness and that alone, there's nothing else. But I think, yeah, you're right. Our One of our jobs as preachers, I heard someone tell me this years ago, he said, when somebody comes to you for help, he says, be the grease on the rope, not a knot. You know, you don't want to give them one more thing to hang on to. Like, no, you know what? You're not so bad. You, you know, you just got to work a little harder. You'll get this right. No, like put a little grease on that rope and say, yeah, actually, you're way worse than you think you are. And in That's fact, if, if you had any confidence till now, you were deceived. You should not have any confidence. Why? Because I can see you're trusting in yourself. 
And even mm -hmm. like you said, even sometimes an actual believer who believes the gospel, but is now fallen back into this trap of, like you said, in Galatians, they've fallen from grace. They've stopped trusting in Christ. And now they're adding things to it. One preacher, Andrew Farley said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Because as soon as you add to it, you've taken away the whole thing. And so a lot of Christians kind of start toying with that idea. Well, maybe I'm not a saved because I did this or because I did that. Well, now you're looking at your performance again. Now your yeah. confidence or lack thereof is based on what you did and didn't do, right? And so my job as a Christian preacher is to take unbelievers, strip away their confidence, put it in Christ. Take believers who are kind of messing with this idea of works and faith and take all their confidence away and put it back on Christ where it was originally, right? Mm -hmm. Well, even it goes back to, you know, even sometimes when you preach and somebody can say, man, how can you have so much confidence in saying all those things, right? Like, how can you be, you know, they almost think I'm a little cocky sometimes because I speak with such authority, but it's again, not based on, it's like, but you don't live exactly after that. Well, I'm not looking at my lifestyle. I'm looking at what the scripture says. Of course, mm. I'm not saying just go live a crazy life and then go and preach your hip. You know, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying, even though sometimes I see something in there and it's pretty much a rebuke to me, I, I read something and I'm getting my message ready. I'm like, like it's, it hurts me because I'm like, Oh man, but I'm still preaching it. Even you though I'm sometimes guilty of it, I'm still going to be preaching it and I'm preaching to myself and I'm preaching with it to everybody else. And I'm preaching with confidence because again, I'm not relying. If we did that, if we always relied on, oh, I can't say this because I don't live exactly like this. We're still preaching the truth, you know, like a parent often. He says, see, I can't do this with my children because I don't do it. You're still, you're still required to train your children. You know, mm -hmm. that's why a lot of people like a lot of, you know, parents that don't want to discipline their children. I don't want to get off topic here, but I'm just using an example here. A lot of parents don't want to do it because they feel like they've come so short of something. So they want to just throw it all away now. And so many times, even I've heard of, you know, people that have, want to preach or something. Well, I, I don't want to say that because sometimes I feel like I'm still guilty of that. And it's like, you're so you're going to space your walk, your preaching, everything you do based according to your works again. It's like, no, I'm still basing this upon Jesus's work. I'm basing Amen. everything in my life upon that, right? Yeah. No, there is, there's a, a statement that is very common, which is true. You know, you should practice what you preach. And we'll often hear about a preacher who, oh, he doesn't practice what he preaches. You know, Jesus said, do what they say, but not what they do, because they don't live according to what they teach. Obviously, you and I and everybody that claims to be a Christian should live according to the truth that God is true and right, and the Bible is true and right, and I'm going to submit to it. But that doesn't mean, like you said, that we can't preach things that are above us. You know, much of what we teach is way far above what we've ever been able to accomplish yeah. because we're preaching perfection. We're preaching Christ and holiness. And Paul tells us that those that teach should teach as the oracles of God with complete confidence, with absolute certainty that this is what God says. And now if I find something that doesn't match up in my life with what I've been preaching, I got to change that. I got to try living more according to that truth, but I'm not basing my confidence on it, right? Yeah. And it's not like we're worthy of it. We're supposed to walk. We're, we're supposed to walk worthy of it. You know, there's a big difference between like, okay, it's like, look, I'm, 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 I'm doing this because I want to be worthy of heaven or I'm doing this because I want to be worthy of this. No, it says, this is who you are. And I've used this example too, as a framer, when you start framing or you start doing some sort of construction, you're not just going to be good at it. You're not just going, but he says now as a framer, walk worthy as a framer, do as a framer, just as a Christian, that's like, okay, you're not always going to, 100% add up to everything, but it's like walk worthy of it. Walk mm -hmm. 
as a child of light does. Because right. the assumption, like you go through the book of Romans, the assumption is already, he's, Paul's like saying the assumption already is, hey, you're dead to this. Don't live like this. You're not going to live like this. You know, there's no condemnation for, for a Christian because this is, uh, this is who you are. That's and I right. think that's why it's it's for me too. It's like, okay, this is who I am. I know on, on the outside, sometimes there's, there's things come out and I want to walk worthy it. I want to walk as much in the light as, as I possibly can, but I'm not going to now say, Oh, I can't because I failed. Now I'm throwing everything to the side. I can't even raise a family. I can't go out and preach. I can't do this because Absolutely. I've been basing everything on my works and it's not working out. Right. One of the best enemies, best tools of the enemy to keep people from confidence and serving Christ is by constantly reminding them that you don't measure up, you don't succeed, you're not as good as you ought to be. And I can just very easily say, of course I'm not. Absolutely I'm not, I come way short. And that, you know, my friends could point out faults in me and I'm like, well, you don't even know my thoughts. I, there's plenty of things that I've done and thought that are way wrong. But now I'm not walking around sinning all day, don't get me wrong, but it's like, of course I come short. That's why I'm so overjoyed with this idea that I'm complete in Christ that I am absolutely 100% holy, unblameable, unreprovable. Why? Because I believe in what he's done and I'm continuing yeah. in it. I'm grounded in it. I'm being settled in it. I'm not being moved away from it. There's nobody's going to move me away from the confidence that I have in Christ and yeah. nobody can pluck me out and I'm going to continue believing right on. Right. Yeah. So again, that's just, yeah, just amazing how, you know, a lot of people think that it's, it's bragging about yourself when you say that but really it's like who have you been pointing throughout even our conversation here we've been pointing to jesus not to ourselves you know we right. we, we do recognize us as failures if it is based upon us again but again it's it's not based upon anything that you or i do but upon christ right yeah um the book of hebrews is often dismissed about this topic because um a lot of calvinists or people who are the once saved always saved crowd would uh would just say well he was speaking to hebrew christians and and obviously there's some truth to that but i already pointed out colossians chapter one says the same thing that hebrews says over and over and over again and there's quite a few times when hebrews in fact the whole book of hebrews is kind of a warning not to go back to the old system if you do you have no hope you know hebrews chapter six there's no more yeah. sacrifice for sins there's no more hope for you if you go back to that old system and then most people interpret that now like mennonites who are afraid of losing their salvation will think well if i commit certain sins then i can never be saved again that's not what the passage is saying at all but yeah. hebrews chapter 10 kind of sums it up really nice hebrews 10 35 through 39 again the exact same thing what am i going to do to keep my salvation how do i stay saved he says cast not away therefore your confidence confidence not don't cast away your good behavior don't cast away your morality don't stop living in righteousness or don't ever start sinning or else he says no don't cast away your confidence which hath great recompense of reward if we continue to have confidence in christ's work we'll have great reward for ye have need of patience that after you have done the will of god you might receive the promise what is the will of god believe in his son jesus states that very clearly um, verse 37, for yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. And then here he warns, and this is where a lot of the, the Mennonites and those that would be afraid of losing salvation would like this passage. If any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. And then they stop there. See, you better not draw back. And I agree. Absolutely. If you draw back from Christ, meaning go back to the Old Testament system, laws and rules and regulations, then there's no pleasure from God. God's not going to look at that with any kind of pleasure and satisfaction, nor will you ever have satisfaction because you'll always wonder if you're doing enough. 
And then he states this last little thing. The, the believers and in, in the Hebrew believers would have heard that and said, man, I better not draw back. And then he says, but we are not of them that draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. So I find every time he gives a warning like that, like don't draw back, you better not go that way. He also kind of reconfirms them and says, but we're not of those. If you're a genuine believer, you're going to keep believing. You're, there's no reason for you to go back. Don't go back there. And there might be cases where we could agree with John, where he says, they went out from among, from among us because they were not of us. For had they been of us, they would no doubt have remained with, with us, right? So that is a, the case often too. But I love yeah. that passage. Yeah, well, it's like he warns. There's warnings like, you know, I never, you'll never take that away. There's definitely warnings and scriptures for these people that, that lose this confidence, lose this hope. To, well, just like uh, in Hebrews chapter six, I think it's uh, for the first, he says that you have put Christ to an open shame. And, and then he goes on. I think I didn't write him down here, but, but then I think it's a few verses after he says, but we are persuaded of better things of you. That's right. Yeah. Again, he just says the same thing as here. He's like, okay, look, there is warnings, but he's look, but we're persuaded of better things for you because we yeah, know that said, you have this confidence, right? He said, it is impossible for those who are once enlightened, have tasted of the yeah. heavenly gift, made partakers of the Holy Ghost to, to renew them again to repentance, right? But then he says that, but we are persuaded better things of you. Yeah. So, and then same thing with this one. Like, it's just it, when you were reading that, where was that? Where did you start reading where it says we have uh, this, this confidence? 35. Hebrews ten thirty five. Cast not away therefore your confidence. Just while you were saying that, I'm like, it's interesting because the people that seem most in danger of this are the people that are basing their salvation on that works again. They're basing the people that the people that are actually thinking they're going to lose their salvation are actually seem like they're most in danger of this because their confidence isn't relying again on Jesus. Right. Many many of them don't even have confidence of salvation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, they're... you know, I, I, I've asked people this too, people that, you know, they're always going back to holding their salvation by works. I'm like, so what makes, what makes you different than any person that believes in a works-based salvation anyways? Like what, what really makes the difference? Right. But I do understand a lot of people, even for me, I don't think I truly believed it. I, I think a lot of people actually don't believe it. Yeah. Like a lot of people that will say, Hey, look, you have to do this and this, and this to keep, stay safe. I truly don't, think they believe it because as soon as you ask them, Hey, where are you going to be when you die? They'll with confidence. Oh, with Jesus. Why? Oh, because of the blood of Christ. Exactly. But then they'll go back to quickly saying, yeah, but, but we just make sure that. And then I ask them, like, so are you going to lose your salvation? No, no, I'm not going to, but the next guy will, or you knew somebody. It's exactly. always a story. It's always a story. It's somebody it's, else. It's that them. other person over there. They, they yeah. probably have lost. I saw this guy and he seems to have lost his salvation. It's never yeah. about me. Right. And yeah, it seems and to be I, a way of controlling. Yeah. And that's where I can see like this whole confidence thing, even here, it's like, this is why it's like for those people that, you know, maybe are listening or are watching this, that if you're scared of losing your salvation, then stop basing your salvation upon the works after you get saved. Right. It's exactly. not basing it on that because you need to have that confidence. And, you know, you want anybody uh, that is listening to have that confidence again, not on themselves, not the confidence that, Hey, look, I'm going to church every Sunday. Look, I'm giving money. Look, I'm going out witnessing. I'm, you know, reading my Bible. Like I sin, but man, I repent right away. Think about that. Those words, I, 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 Absolutely. I, 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 there's no Jesus, you know, and we've said this and, and, and many times too, it's like, you know, you get to the, the, you get to Jesus 
and he's going to say, why should I let you in? Why are you my child? Anything. What are you going to say? Oh, because I stayed in the faith or not. You know, that would be a moment. I did this. I did this. You know, you, you were, I was uh, going to church. I was doing, giving money. I was doing this. It's going to be based upon, upon your yourself again. Right. And it's not going to be that, you, you know, it's going to be because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's right. And you, you even mentioned I stayed in the faith. That is the requirement to stay saved, to stay in the faith. Mm-hmm. But if you were asked, why should I let you in? It's not, well, because I stayed in the faith. It would be because you gave your son to die for me. Mm-hmm. You know, the attention is because of you, God, because of yeah. your work, because of what you did, because of his life. You know, it's never about because I did. Because if you're saying I stayed in the faith, your your faith is not in Christ. Your faith is in your ability to stay in the faith. Yeah. So it can get kind yeah. of complicated there in your yeah. mind. But yeah. your attention and focus should be on him and his work, not on anything that you did or believed or said, right? Yeah. Well, it goes back to just by you mentioning that here in that at first Peter, another great verse, first uh, Peter chapter one, verse three, it says, blessed be the God of the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled. And that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Again, it's kept, even if you think about the means God uses to keep you in the faith, there's means. I do believe that there's many means that the scripture references to where he keeps us in the faith. You know, he uses, as Jesus Christ, he's in, he intercedes for us. Think about it. Sometimes I'm wondering, like, if how many times we could have maybe walked away from the faith or we could have uh, left our confidence somewhere, but it's because of Christ interceding and praying and all these things that that he does for us. Again, it, we rely, again, even to keep us in the faith, we rely on, on the power of God. I think you're recording. Is your audio off? Sorry, my audio was turned off there oh, a second. Okay. Thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you made that transition and talked about how do we then stay confident? How do we stay hopeful in, in him? How do we make sure that we continue believing until the end? Well, that is actually God's job in our life. His job in our life is to keep us in the faith, grounded and settled. Like you just read there in First Peter. I should have brought that passage up as well. But he says, we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed. So it's not up to me to be kept. In fact, one of the most extreme circumstances in the Bible is found in 1 Corinthians 5. Uh, It's talking about um, church discipline. And he says that there's a man in your church that has his father's wife, of all things. This kind of behavior is not even named among the Gentiles. It's just disgusting. How could you guys have that in your church? He says at one point, your glorying is not good. Why are you guys glorying in this? You're acting as if it's okay for Christians to do this. And so he says, I want you to do something. He very specifically says, I need you to get together as a church. And he says in verse three, I verily as absent in the body, but present in the spirit have judged already as though I were present concerning him that has done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Now that's where a lot of the Mennonites would stop this whole church discipline idea. They would say, see, or he's just going to be destroyed and we're going to get rid of that rotten, filthy, evil sinner. That's not the goal of church discipline. The, the goal of church discipline is not God saying, get that nasty person out of the church. The goal of that is to 
turn that person back to salvation, first of all. And in the extreme case in which he does not turn back, this is a very strange verse, 1 Corinthians 5, 5, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. God will allow Satan to come after his body, to hurt his flesh. And then it says, destruction of the flesh that, so that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So God might buffet you. He might come after you, discipline you, chasten you. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 talks about no chastening seems present, uh, pleasant for the time, right? But if you are not chastened, then you're a bastard and not a son. And so if you are a genuine believer, God has it as one of his primary duties is to make sure you stay saved. And so am I eternally secure? Absolutely. Am I saved forever? For sure I am. Why? Because it's Christ's work and not mine. And even if I lack faith, he's going to keep me in the faith. And the, the church might come together and present me to the Father and say, okay, God, take your hands off him. He's not walking in faithfulness. He's not walking true to your word. And then he allows Satan to come after me and to buffet me, to, to tempt me or to uh, destroy my flesh, maybe cause an accident, cause some sickness, cause something. And what's that supposed to do? It's supposed to turn me back to the church, not to church, but to Christ and be welcomed back in the church. And if I refuse to repent, then even my spirit can be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus, even though my flesh is destroyed. So where is that line where someone has drawn so far away that they can now be lost? I don't know. It seems like in this case, God was going to cut that off before this sinner went too far and departed from the faith, right? It's just interesting. Yeah, like God uses the, a means of keeping you saved by using the church discipline, right? Uses that, and I, I find it even in uh, isn't it in First Corinthians uh, ten three where he says oh yeah First Corinthians three uh, fifteen it says if any man's work shall be burned he shall suffer loss but he himself shall be saved yet so as by fire I just find it interesting even yet so as by fire so it's like that this fire if if it didn't expose or burn all the bad works you wouldn't be saved you know it's almost like the Sure, you had a lot of bad works, but this 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 um, this fire exposed all the bad stuff, but it also revealed the the silver, precious stone, and all that mm. gold. Right? It revealed all that. If that wouldn't have been so, then would there have just been dirty works? Right? Like it revealed all that there was precious precious stones and stuff. Right? So you know, that that doesn't seem to be in regards to salvation, but rather rewards in heaven yeah. and such like things. Right? Yeah. Words that we will take off and cast at his feet anyway, because we know we wouldn't have him if it wasn't for his work for us. Yeah. Yeah. So again, it goes all back to everything. That's why, like, if you look at scripture, it's, it's salvation, it's your rewards, it's your gifts, it's your almost every, it always points back to the work of Christ. You know, it, Paul even says that there's things, areas where Paul starts, it almost sounds like he starts bragging about himself, but then later he right, just says, I have done more than all these guys, but not me, but the grace that God has bestowed upon me or something like that. Just paraphrasing here. But yeah. again, everything is, is pointed back, back to Jesus. Amen. Um, another passage here that just came to mind as you were speaking, uh, the way that the, the, Bible says we are kept in the faith is by the power of God, but the church often comes in and does the work of God, right? You and I have the spirit of God. So if I am speaking into your life, the Bible instructs me, if I see you caught in a sin, then I should be the one that is spiritual. I should go and restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, right? And then in Hebrews chapter 313, he says, exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So the deceitfulness of sin 
is not what's going to cause you to walk away immediately, but your heart slowly becomes hardened. You become more and more hardened to his voice and you no longer hear him. And then you might walk back to Judaism. You might walk back to keeping commandments to get saved because your heart's been hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So the once saved, always saved crowd would say, it doesn't matter what you do. You're saved no matter what you do. That's actually a statement I heard that was at a college once at a Bible college. It says, you are saved no matter what you do. And it was such a horrible way of saying it, right? Like it's, what are you trying to say by that? You're say, trying to tell people they just go ahead and live however they want because that's not the message of the gospel, but you aren't saved by anything you do and you're not saved by anything you don't do. You're saved by what Christ has done. But to say, no matter what you do, you're saved, right? And here he says, don't allow sin in your life because it's going to slowly harden your heart. It's going to numb your conscience. And it might even actually get you to start doubting God's good work. It might start making you feel like, well, I don't think God's really that gracious. I don't think he would really do it once for all. I think I better go back to religion. I think I better go back to morality or some other way, right? So clearly we should be resisting sin. But if we see someone commit a sin, we can't say, oh, they're probably not even a Christian anymore because that's not what keeps them saved. It's their yeah. faith in Christ that gets them saved and keeps them saved. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that, again, that's where I see the importance of, of the church getting involved and in where you see the assembly and, and where God uses these means to, to expose them often, right? Exposes them. And well, just that statement that you made there where this, this preacher says, I think that's where a lot of people have a hard time having confidence and or believing eternal security is because of people like that, right? They, they, they bring this message across that just sounds like a Christian is somebody and think I've heard this many times. Oh, so you just think you can go do what you want to do. You know, you can go send the way you want to send. You want to do this thing. Like, no, as a Christian, I actually don't want to. Sometimes that, you know, I, there's times I fall into it, but I, 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 my desire has changed. And sometimes the more you do things and this is where it is. Like, I, again, I don't like just to take my experience we go to the word of God, but even if most Christians can identify to this and, and testify to this, let's just say there's a time as a Christian where you do fall, you do get into and get lose, you, you get careless and you start, you know, I've many times we've done this and me and my wife have done this. We all of a sudden get into watching movies or TV shows that we should be watching. Not that there's just some really corrupt, but they are corrupt, right? So all of a sudden you get into that and you get into it for about a month or two months. And all of a sudden I'm like, we can't be doing this night. I just turn off never again, you know, and then, you know, years go on without doing it. All of a sudden you fall into this again, but it, oh, you don't just stay there. You, you know, most people, Christians, you know, you hear that. I hear this all the time. Christians are like, man, I, I'm, I'm getting out of this. I just, I was in this rut, eh? I was in this rut for, for a month or two months or three months. And a lot of times they're in there for so long is because the Christian, especially like, and I'm maybe I'm sometimes a little bit too harsh with people, but I find not that I find joy into going up there and preaching against against sin, but I will very easily do that. I, 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 my heart gets stirred and like I will go up there and I will preach against and I will preach against people not to live this way. Because a lot of times people, they especially nowadays, I, I had a message on a couple of Sundays ago. People are now influenced by how bad the world is just because they're not quite as bad they feel confidence where they're confident where they're at because like, yeah, I know I'm bad, but look how, look at the world, look at this, like this, all this homosexual and all this other stuff, look at it. So I'm not that bad. 
they start feeling confident. And that's where I think a lot of Christians now, preachers, all these people, there's no more rebuking. There's no more exhorting. There's no more of these things. So a lot of these Christians are actually in a rut. They're in a rut and they're staying there longer than they should actually because there is no more assembly to to help them out of it. There's no more assembly just like you read there in Hebrews 3. There is none of that that's not happening anymore. And that means God uses to help direct these Christians, right? Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Uh, I was going to say something else there while you were speaking and I lost my thought. So I'll just move on. Um, We should probably kind of wrap it up here now, but I've heard... On two occasions, two preachers that I've really listened a lot to, both completely different than each other. They don't speak the same type of thing. They both preach the gospel, no doubt about it. But Michael Pearl, I'm sure you've heard of him many times and you've listened to his stuff. And Timothy Keller, not at all like Michael Pearl, like he lives in New York City. So these people are not connected. And so this illustration that's found in the Bible, they both found it and they applied it to the same principle. And I thought it was really, really good. So the book of Acts, it's, it's a picture, an illustration of eternal security about security of the believer paul is told by god that he's going to stand before caesar i don't have the verses up before me so i won't be able to quote them directly but he says you're going to stand before caesar and so paul gets on a ship ready to go he's like okay i'm gonna stay he actually refuses to be seen by the jewish leaders because he says no god says i'm gonna stand before caesar so i'm gonna stand before caesar and he gets on the ship with complete confidence that we're going to stand before caesar And then as they're going on their way, a huge storm comes up and he's like, man, we should probably stay here. It's a little bit too rough. If we get on the ship, we might just end up sinking and we might all die. And the captain of the ship says, no, I think we can make it. We're going to go ahead. And he's like, okay. So he gets on the ship knowing that he's going to stand before Caesar. And then the winds get so bad that for like, what is it, 28 days or something, they didn't see the sun or is it 14 days? Maybe I've doubled it. They didn't see the sun or the stars or the moon or anything. It's just darkness, darkness, darkness. And they thought for sure they were all going to be lost. And uh, after fasting for a long time and praying to God, God comes to Paul in a dream and says, do not be afraid. Every one of you will make it. And so there, we got eternal security. We are going to be saved. We are going to make it to the end. We know we're going to stay saved. And then... Uh, all of a sudden they, they are told that if anybody gets off the ship, so some of the men get so afraid they're going to let down the lifeboat and hop into the lifeboat and head off to the shore. And Paul says, if you get off this ship, we're all going to die. And now, you know, if you were a theologian, you might say, well, Paul, you're being contradictory. How can you say that? God said we're all going to make it. Not a single one of us will be lost. Not a hair on our head will be lost, he says. Well, how can you say now that if we get off the ship, well... Paul was not a theologian. He didn't categorize God into certain, like you have to say this and now you said this so you can never say anything different. Paul just simply believed God. So if the Bible says, do not draw back, there's no hope for you if you draw back. Me as a Christian would say, okay, I'm not going to draw back. If I do, I'm going to be lost. The Bible says, you will make it. You will never be plucked out of my hand. Nothing can take you away from the love of God. I'm going to be saved in the end. I say, absolutely. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm going to be saved. And so he persuades these people to get back on the ship. They drop the lifeboat and they all just hang on for dear life. And there's a few more ups and downs that happened there. But throughout the whole thing, Paul decided he was just going to believe whatever God said. God said, you're going to make it. He says, okay, we're going to make it. God says, if you get off the ship, we're all going to die. He says, okay, we're all going to die. And so I can do the same. I can hold both truths. You know, the Mennonites will hold up one set of verses that they love that says, if you walk away, you're going to be lost. There's no hope for you. You can't continue in sin. There's no repentance for you. 
the Calvinist once saved, always saved people will say, you can never be plucked out. You're absolutely secure. You're from death to life. All both true verses. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and, and we, we as a believer should be like the Apostle Paul on the ship saying, I'm sure of my salvation, but I'm also sure that if you get off the ship, you're going to be lost. So I can go to a believer and say, you better not continue in that wicked way because it's going to harden your heart and you're going to walk away from God and you will be lost. Well, yeah. what's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe God will step in. Maybe God will chasten them. Maybe God will bring them back. Maybe the church will use be used to bring them back. I don't know. But ultimately, we're all going to get to Rome. Yeah. We're all going to be in heaven, right? We're all going to be yeah. saved because of what Christ did. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Amen. No, it's definitely... Again, it goes back to, it's like a lot of people, they want to dispensationalize, you know, verses, like you said, Hebrews and uh, all these verses out of it, right? I, you know, I hear this many times, especially coming from uh, a Baptist, that uh, many times certain verses that kind of direct towards that way, where they do pretty much warn you of, of loss of salvation, they will dispensationalize that one. They will say that wasn't for this dispensation, that was for a complete different group of people, Right. But the warnings are there. I think that's just like you mentioned, that was a perfect example because the warnings are there. The warnings are there that we need to have confidence. We need to hold fast to the truth. We need to hold fast to that. Don't get carried away. Don't get lazy. And then also for, for the people that uh, are always terrified of losing it and, and not knowing it, it's like you need to, you, they need to stop thinking of themselves. You need to mm-hmm. put yourself out of the picture and look and hold confidence in Christ, right? Amen. Uh, again, this Timothy Keller guy, I don't know if I'll be able to quote it directly, but he often says something along these lines where he says, um, you are far more sinful than you ever dared imagine, but you're also far more loved than you could have ever hoped. You know, it's that to me kind of sums up both sides. If you are saved or kept by your works, then nobody has confidence because you're way worse than you think you are. But if you're saved by Christ and his work, then we can have absolute confidence because it's because of his love to us that we're even saved in the first place. So there's, there should be, in all Christians, there should be joy, thankfulness, gratitude, assurance of salvation at all times. We should be just constantly rejoicing in his work and then we should be grounded in it. We should be settled in it. We should never move away from it. And it just goes on and on throughout our whole lives. We, you know, Paul says near the end of his life, I glory in nothing save the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. So what was Paul's glory at the end after facing his accusers and being beaten and shipwrecked and stoned and all these things? What was his joy and confidence? Only glory he had was the cross of Christ. And it's the only thing we ever have. The only thing we had at the beginning, it's the only thing we have now years down the road. Amen. Anything to wrap that up? Well, I just one thing here again, going to Romans, just reading a verse here. Um, in Romans eight thirty, it says, "Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called; and them whom he called, them he also justified; and them whom he justified, them he also glorified." Just very interesting. The last part, glorified. We will be glorified. We will be glorified. But he already recognizes us, and assume, you know, recognizes us as being glorified. Right. Amen. So I think that's a great confidence and an encouragement to, that we have Scripture that we can read things like that, knowing that that God has uh, predestinated us to be conformed to his son, but also that he has justified justified us just as if we have never sinned. That's how I like to use it, just as if we have never sinned. And then he's also recognizing us as being glorified. Amen. We are already glorified, seated together with Christ in the heavenly places. Yeah. 
you know, that's, that's about as confident as you can get in salvation because it's yeah. in the work of a perfect man, right? Amen. Amen. Well, I appreciate this. This was good. I really looking forward to seeing you in person finally. And uh, just over a month now, we'll be out in November if the Lord is willing. And uh, I would really encourage you guys to share that. There will be an invitation sent out as well. And people can share this publicly and let everybody know that I'll be out there. Not to come see great old me. I'm just an ordinary guy. But just to have an opportunity to speak from the Word of God, to teach more truth, and hopefully persuade and win a few more people to Christ, right? Yeah, no, amen. No, that's definitely uh, really great encouragement. We definitely think we're going to get uh, quite a bit of people out hear the gospel. A lot of people want to bring family members. I find usually in meetings like that, that's when uh, a lot of people want to come in here and are open to it, right? So we'll be, we'll be praying for that for sure. Amen. Well, keep me in mind too, as you do pray. I appreciate that. So, nope, for sure. Okay. But, uh, God bless you. Yeah. God bless you.